There was an idea. The Avengers initiative. I'm gonna do this all day. I'm a superhero. I've come to bargain. I love you, please, Hansen. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. You should have gone for the head. And I... Wakanda forever! Why is Gamora? Iron Man. We are... and welcome to a special edition of Marvel Standom. I'm your host, Kirsten Howard. Back at San Diego Comic-Con, we had the opportunity to interview some notable Marvel comic book writers, the first of which being the Dream Team, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, writers of a new run of Guardians of the Galaxy. This particular run embraces a tragic Western theme currently surrounding an event known as Grootfall. It'll certainly make you cry, but that's par for the course with the Guardians. But that's not all. The duo also has a unique child-aimed book, ThorQuest, Hammers of the Gods, which explores the childhood adventures of Thor, Loki, and all his friends. We'll play the interview Mike did shortly, but first we have a brief message about the sponsor of this episode, eBay. eBay is the premier destination for collecting comics both old and new. Whether it's that highly sought after iconic comic or an obscure niche that speaks directly to you, odds are you'll certainly find it on eBay. Here's a list of comics that are must-haves for any fan of Guardians of the Galaxy. Kang the Conqueror 1 MCU fans are just now getting to know Kang the Conqueror, and they're already confused. Ever since Kang first appeared in Avengers 8 in 1964, his time travel shenanigans have boggled the minds of readers. All of this is a long way of saying that writers Colin Kelly and Jackson Lanzig achieved something special in their Kang the Conqueror miniseries from 2021. The five-issue series not only streamlines Kang's origin, but it also tells a compelling character-driven story. The writers achieved this feat with the help of Carlos Magno's clean but surreal art. Magno takes advantage of two-page spreads, capturing Kang's existential dread as he moves through identities and timelines. It's a head trip grounded in reality. Guardians of the Galaxy 1 the Guardians of the Galaxy have gone through many iterations since they debuted as a team of 31st century freedom fighters in 1969, but when Al Ewing took over in 2020, he pushed the team beyond all previous limits. When the Greek gods return to establish themselves as the most powerful deities in the universe, the Guardians must adapt to once again save the galaxy. Despite the cosmic stakes, the story stays grounded on the characters thanks to the clean artwork from Juan Cabal. Cabal's facial expressions ensure that we always understand the emotions of the story, whether it's the comfort of the well-established bond between Rocket and Star-Lord, or the arrogance of Kree newcomer Marvel Boy. Guardians of the Galaxy 1 The Guardians of the Galaxy are a sci-fi franchise, right? So why does Marco Cicchetto's cover for 2023's Guardians of the Galaxy 1 feature Star-Lord draped in a brown poncho? Well, that's because writers Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly take a spaghetti western approach to their run, imagining the Guardians as outriders who roll into dusty border towns to save the locals from an oncoming threat. 
the mishmash of superhero, cowboy and sci-fi genres works thanks to the Dynamo writing team and Kev Walker's striking illustrations. Filled with grimy details and cartoony expressions, Walker recalls the artists of 2000 AD in its prime, making the trashy look mythic. Tales to Astonish 13. The Talking Tree has roots that go back to before Marvel was even Marvel. In the years after World War II and before the dawn of the Fantastic Four, non-DC superheroes just didn't sell, so Marvel's predecessor Atlas turned to making monsters. Modern readers might be surprised to read that Groot's first appearance was in 1960's Tale to Astonish 13. The script by Lee and his brother Larry Lieber imagines Groot as a verbose conqueror, a big meanie who says much more than I am Groot while he terrorizes Earthlings. Annihilation Conquest 6 If the Guardians started out as a team of futuristic freedom fighters, how did they become the modern-day ragtag heroes we know today? The answer can be found in the two Annihilation miniseries, especially Annihilation Conquest 6 from 2008. That's when a group of usually independent heroes, including Mantis, Gamora and Nova, joined Star-Lord's lead and formed a team to take out threats before they even began. Abnett and Lanning have a knack for tales about colossal, galaxy-wide threats, and this one includes X-Men threats the Phalanx, Ultron, the Kree and more. If you're already tired of waiting for a fourth Guardians of the Galaxy movie, Annihilation Conquest will tide you over. Head on over to ebay.com today to start or expand your collection. And now back to the show. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Den of Geek studio. I am still Mike Cicchini. I am still here in San Diego. And I am joined now by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, the writing team, possibly the hottest hive mind writing team in comics at the moment. Hottest hive mind writing team. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna, okay. I had to qualify. I was going to yeah. stop. No, okay, great. As yeah. long as we're on the same page, we are the hottest two guys who share a single brain cell in comics. Okay, yeah. I, we, we, need to, we need to get into the logistics of how that works at some point. And it makes sense that you are a hive mind because we're primarily here to talk about a very sci-fi focused work, which is Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. Let's start with this, because as we conduct this interview, the fourth issue of your Guardian se series has just hit. Yep. And... The saddest one yet. Yes. Well, we're going to get to that, because <laughs> like, that is a heartbreaking comic. Mm. But it's always tricky when Marvel puts out a brand new series just in time for a major release. And your first issue was timed almost exactly with the release of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which means you fellas have to make this accessible to people who might just know these characters from the MCU, right? But you still have to be able to encompass the, to the totality of the Marvel universe right. and tell a fresh story that's completely, you know, like that's like a ground zero in a way. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, uh, we went back and forth. I mean, when they first kind of um, brought it to the table of like, would this be something you guys were interested in doing? Exactly. We had to tackle this massive question of something that is going to be taking not only a, you know, decades of comics continuity, but also this MCU version of things, which is like, that is not Peter Quill, right? Like, love the love Chris Pratt, love what they're doing there, but these are not, they don't have the same continuity of character that the comics do. So you do need to kind of find a way to split that difference. And all we had to start, right? They said, Guardians, 
no, there, there are no limitations. Do whatever you want. The only real thing that we got to be aware of is yet we are aligned on the movie. So you're probably going to want to use some characters from the movie. And, um, you know, Al Ewing's run was iconic and specific and really incredible in a book that we were big fans of. And they were like, you cannot just extend Al's run. Al did his run. It's a really awesome run. He ended it with all of them, like, cheersing at the bar at the end. Like, see you at Grosnacks. And it's like, great. That's the end of that run. There's really nowhere else to go with that. If I mean, I'm sure there is if you're Al. There really isn't if you're us, right? We have to figure out our own way in. And so we had, um, before San Diego, really been talking about, like, what does that look like? How do you create a book that's simultaneously brand new and also, like, a brand new jumping on point for fans, but also doesn't completely disregard that which has come before, especially because we are huge fans of what came before. It's a beautiful book. It was very inviting to a lot of fans who didn't have a place. Like, I, I think it's a really, it's a really beautiful story. Um, and so we were talking about, like, all right, what do we do here? And the first thing that we realized is that there's nowhere to go but down. <laughs> from the heights that he brought the guardians to. They all had the same uniform. Their they story had, was concluded. They had right? become they a family. They had, they were all telling each other. They loved each other. It was, there's nowhere to go there except to, for, from our perspective. And maybe this makes us limited, but like, except I just think that's where the, the drama is, but to go down. And so once we realized that we were like, what's the worst thing that could happen to the guardians as they stand right now? What is the thing that would actually tear these people apart and would actually throw them into a state of grief? And then how could we essay out that state of grief in a way that felt dynamic and interesting? And the first answer to that was Groot and Groot Fall. The idea of something fun, like something so fundamentally at the heart of the Guardians, uh, betraying them uh, for reasons that even they do not understand, felt like such a, a sad and, and impactful thing to do. And it makes you furious, right? Right. That was the thing because you can experience tragedy; it can absolutely freeze you and slow you down. But be, but betrayal, betrayal is how you get motivated, you get angry, you propel yourself into the story. So it could be tragic and yet still have a lot of momentum. And so suddenly we had a thing that had to be sad and it had to be angry and it had to be desolate and it had to be tragic and it had to be interesting and it had to have a relatively small crew because the crew at the beginning was this. You know, at the end of Al's run, there are like thirty guardians, forty guardians, a hundred guardians. And it's like, and that's the point of it, right? He's turned it into space cops. If we were going to start them and there were only going to be five or six of them, that those aren't space cops, that's a posse. And so we realized after several rounds of talking about this and trying to figure out how to really make this as distinct as possible and give it its own voice and give it its own flavor, kind of separate it away from the Marvel universe for a little bit and let it grow on its own. Um, I, I think it was Darren Chan who was like, you know, everything we're talking about just really, they feel like Western themes. And there was this long pause and we were like, like they're all wearing cowboy hats. And he was like, no. And then Colin, to his enormous credit, was like, Western is an aesthetic. It's not necessarily a genre. It becomes a genre when you make it specific, when you figure out what kind of Western you're telling. Yeah. And we all realized that what we were doing actually was telling Unforgiven. We were telling a Sergio Leone Western. We were telling those sad Westerns where they're at the end of the tragic state of their lives, where they are either in the Old West because they have nothing to go back to, or because they are afraid to go back, or because they are hoping to find um, um, some some uh, fortune that they will not find out here. It's, right? the, it's the fundamental core of a lot of the best Westerns, which is a tragedy. You're yeah. looking out at this horizon, knowing that one day this too will pass, yeah. right? Everything that's glorious about this landscape is going to slowly die. And the people who belong here are going to be pushed out. Like it is a tragic tale 
Um, and you can gussy it up. You can make it as cool, bing, bang, wow as you want. Like, yeah, six shooters are rad. Yeah, westerns are inherently cool. But like, it has to be sad. And if yeah. it's not tragic, if there's not that that undercurrent to it, you're not doing the genre a service. And so that's what Guardians became. It became an exploration for us of grief. It became an exploration of betrayal. It became an exploration of how you move through that with family. It became an, a, a, a book very much about the importance of sharing those feelings with the people you love and the difficulty of doing it. And then we happen to be able to do that with the Guardians of the Galaxy, right? And then the the incredible thing is then we went and saw Guardians Volume 3, a movie we knew nothing about, right? A movie we we didn't, they, they didn't tell us anything that was going on in Guardians 3. And then we see it, and here is a movie about the importance of talking to your friends and the importance of experiencing grief and the importance of stepping out of the shadows of your past and into some kind of new light. And it was like, well, I feel like we're all on the same page. It even ended with a Western vibe, right? You have Rocket out there at the end, spoiler alert, uh, out there at the end, uh, it, you know, with the new Guardians in that like desert landscape. And I literally remember like Colin and I getting out, we were like, James Gunn like listening to us? Like how did that, ha how did this happen? What the hell, it was great. It's really a shame that you guys, that this is just a job for you and that you have <laughs> absolutely no passion for this material at all. I mean, it's really, you know. Nine to five, baby, it's a grind. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, I, I just want to talk briefly about issue four because I know we're short on time today, but. That's that, a shame, we'd stay here all day. That, well, clearly, but that is such a heartbreaking comic. Like the idea that, I mean, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but. Feel free. The fact that we have three issues without Rocket and then we find out and it's like, you kind of wish you didn't know. Yeah. And when I realized what that robot was, that like Rocket is just so lonely and so heartbroken over what's happened. That was like the saddest panel I've seen in a mainstream comic in I don't know how long. And like, as if I didn't cry enough after Guardians 3, what are you guys doing? Why we? Why do we do this to you? Why Cookie Rocket? Yeah, I know. Um, and we uh, we apologize, but not really at all. Yeah. Like we got, the, the great thing here is that the, the Guardians are funny, right? They are able to bring that kind of humor, but the opposite of humor is tragedy, right? And you can't, if you can't cry, you can't laugh. Um, so writing, getting in to tell that story, um, to Darren's incredible credit, like gave us that freedom to get, you know, we were talking about this a little earlier, to get some Kang uh, in our Guardians, right? Um, right, we broke in on Kang the Conqueror, right, at Marvel Comics, doing by doing five issues of the, the very truthful and personal tale for us of what it's like to try to not be your father and how difficult it is to not, especially when you're a young man, to not be your parents is very tough. Um, and so we had, we'd written a book very personal uh, about that and, and somehow Marvel published it with Kang. It was yeah, insane. We couldn't, we couldn't believe it. So this was really a chance for us to re-engage that muscle for sure. Well, and what the tragedy is when you lose your best friend. Yeah. Something we, well, I mean, thank God don't know about. Cheers. But man, I bet that would suck. Yeah, it would suck. Uh, people who follow me on social media might know, um, back in March, uh, just as the book was about to launch in April, so we were about an issue into writing it, uh, my house burned down. Uh, I, I was in the middle of Emerald City Comic Con, and all of a sudden, uh, I got a call from my wife that my wife was okay and my cat was okay, but uh, the apartment that I'd lived in for 18 years was on fire. Um, and, and it was gone, right? We just moved into a new house, we're rehomed, it's all good. But it made for something very interesting because uh, the first line, the first page of Guardians of the Galaxy number one ends with a phrase that became the very core of our book, which is uh, that some call the Guardians a family and some call the Guardians a team, but what they are is a fire and a fire only ends one way. And the implication of course being in ashes. And that's where we find the Guardians now, in ashes. And I thought I was being poetical, right? 
But by the time we were writing the rocket issue, which we wrote a week after the fire, we were writing about something very personal because Colin can't help but experience that tragedy through me. And I can't I was help there, but- like, I was at the house yeah. trying to get shit out because yeah, I didn't go yeah. to Emerald City. I was, right, I was in Seattle. I literally couldn't. I was at a karaoke bar where everyone at, uh, at Emerald City Comic Con sang fire-themed songs for two and a half hours to make me feel better. It was incredible. Comics people, yeah. hey, yeah. dark uh, humor. Yeah, it was wonderful. But uh, we wrote this rocket issue literally a week after that fire. And I don't think, literally, genuinely, until like it came out this week and I looked at it, I was like, oh, this is about that. I didn't really realize at the time that that's what I was accessing. But that is entirely what we accessed. And- What's interesting about Guardians, and I, I can't talk about it too much for fear of spoilers, but we've seen now, I know issue five has been solicited, issue six has been solicited, and the issue seven cover came out, I think, yesterday or the day before. And this is a book that is about to hit a turn. We have, we have spent some time in grief and spent some time in sadness. And I know that for some fans, that's been really hard, and I understand that. A lot of characters are implicitly not here. There's a question of whether or not they are dead. There's a question about whether or not it was Groot who killed them. It is a question about what is going on in this universe and how it became so desolate. And we're not going to hold on to that very much longer. Guardians of the Galaxy 6 is going to answer that. Alex Lenz is coming in to deliver 20 pages of absolute surrealist masterwork. I mean, every page is like just genius work. It's hard to come in on a book that Kev Walker has been doing this kind of work on and like do great. And Alex is just incredible. And from that, the book is going to pivot and we're heading into the second half of our guardians run. Our run was always planned as basically like 10 issues to like build this thing out and, and have a, a, a whole story. We weren't planning years and years and years of a saga. We were planning a really specific thing that we wanted to talk about, about grief. And especially after the fire, it really lends in onto, this is a book about getting to a middle point and then blossoming the book back out from there. We're going to take you down so we can take you up. We're going to make you cry so we can make you laugh, ideally. So, yeah. Yeah. Things are about to swing upwards. Yeah. Can we lighten this up before? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'd love to. I really bring the room down with that fire story. No, every time. no, Sorry, man. but because you, have, hot, because you yeah. have one other Ooh, amazing that's... work here that it was just released, and I think you just need to tell folks about it before... Before we run out of time, absolutely. Um, this is our this is our precious child. This is our um, this is something we've been working on for years. At this point, we started during the pandemic, uh, and we just needed joy in our lives. Uh, so we got reached out to by Marvel Press. They asked what we had, and we said, "You know what? No one has ever played with." Adolescent Thor. Like 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 pre-adolescent Thor. Yeah. yeah. Like we've never seen kind of the start of the Warriors 3. We've never really seen like young Fandral and Thor have adventures or young Loki and Thor have adventures. How did Sif come to Asgard? All of these things. They're like these really interesting little stories about these kids, about these characters as kids, but they inherently live in a fantasy universe. There's no better place to tell a story about children. So um, we have Thorquest. Thorquest. <laughs> um, Hammers of the Gods. Um, this is going to be an exciting story. It's a chapter book uh, for uh, middle grade readers. Uh, it's the story of these, you know, soon to be best friends, though starting off as kind of, you know, contentious children. Um, we teamed up uh, with uh, Billy, Billy Young, Young, who's uh, an amazing uh, artist uh, out in South Asia. 
And uh, yeah, flip through. It's gonna be a. It's 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 lovely. It's gonna be perfect for the the kid in your life, or just you if you want to strap in and have a good time. You can see we have sort of prose pages, but we also have comics pages. There are maps. There are cutouts. There are little games. Like the 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 book is designed effectively to be a full experience for a young reader who has never seen or read a Thor book, has never maybe has seen the Thor movies and wants to know more, wants to start reading. This book is for them, but it's also for any adult who just wants to like spend an afternoon in a really silly kid level version of Thor. Um, I, I think the, the the fun of this book is that we as adults wrote the book that we would have wanted to read as kids. And it's really just been a delight to see it come to life. Um, we got it in our hands yesterday. This is our like- Yeah, we're kind of gushing about it still. But yeah, I mean, but we're just, only talking about it because I happen to be carrying it around. But, uh, but you know, and as fun as it is, um, we always believe that you can't write down to kids. Like they are just as smart as the rest of us, sometimes smarter. So you yeah. have to respect their emotionality. You have to respect what they can bring to the table. So we didn't write down to anyone. Yeah. Once again, this is the book that we would have wanted to read. It's going to be challenging while also kind of being like a super bitch and high five. And the thing I love about it, honestly, is that uh, we get to do the uh, we get to do the framework of a fun kid level adventure. It sort of got the vibe of like um, uh, like Last Kids on Earth or that kind of thing, but with like the Thor characters. But the thing that I think is really unique and exciting is because it is a Marvel press book, because it is a Disney press book, because it is done within the canon, we are looking at this as a way to also introduce kids to some of the core aspects of the Thor mythology. So aspects from Jason Aaron's run find their way into this book. Aspects of uh, the Walt Simonson run find their way into this book. Like we're taking things from the Thor runs, a Crito JMS run, it's finding its way in here. Like all kinds of stuff finds its way into this book. And so a kid gets to learn about the mother storm for the first time. A kid gets to understand who Fandral is for the first time. Like all of these things get to your Megander, the yeah. serpent that circuits the world. Right. Yeah. And we're getting, and we're also lacing it with a lot of like Norse mythology and a lot of that stuff so that we can teach kids um, that stuff that upset that we were obsessed with when we were kids. Right. Yeah. It's been a really, it's, it's been a really exciting time. I can't wait for kids to get a hold of it. I mean, literally, I don't think it, it's even out yet. I'm breaking street date, but it comes out next week and it's volume one. So, um, this is a promise that there will be a second volume. Uh, I promise that because this book kind of ends on a cliffhanger. Uh, but the second book is on the way. We're really excited. Um, and there'll probably be more after that as well. Last thing, real quick, what is your like holy grail collectible right now? One thing that you remember, or what was the moment when you first realized that you were going to collect something? Uh, actually, I got one. Uh, I'm a sword guy. Like, I just love them. Uh, and there was an Assassin's Creed spearhead. Yeah, watch out, baby. Uh, there was an Assassin's Creed Odyssey spear that was a SDC uh, exclusive, and I saw it like on Sunday last day, and I was like, that is my treasure. I have it still, I spin it around, it's totally rad, and I love it. I uh, I have a uh, truly obscene amount of Batman black and white statues. Uh, it, it really has gotten out of hand, uh, and I'm, I'm working with Raphael Grandpa right now, or like we're sitting next to Raphael Grandpa right now, and um, I just keep geeking out, because I'm like, I have your statue on my desk. <laughs> Uh, so I, I, you know, that's like been a thing, but I, I'll be honest, um, at the Marvel booth, there is a pin. There are these Scotty Young pins of his, like of the sort of Scotty Young versions of the Marvel characters. And there's one of his Captain America and there's one of his Kang the Conqueror. And those are both number one covers for our books. It's the Captain America from oh, our Captain snap. America number one. And it's the, it's the Kang from our Kang number one. And I need them. Yep. I am a, I, I need those pins. Um, so that's actually a project for me later when Hear I do the Marvel, Marvel panel. We're watching you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get those pins come hell or high water because the very idea that there is a Kang the Conqueror pin that exists because of a comic book we wrote is too cool for me to handle. I'm very excited for it. Well, I'm excited for both of you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. We'll see you soon. All right. Cheers. 
Thanks for watching and or listening to this special edition of Marvel Standom. We'll be back soon with more of our San Diego coverage, as well as some fun book clubs with me and Joe George. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe to us on YouTube at Den of Geek US, check out our Twitch and TikTok at Den of Geek TV, and our Twitter slash Instagram at Den of Geek. I refuse to call Twitter anything else. Uh, we're also on threads if you're into that. Don't forget to check out our web home of denofgeek.com where you can find all our Marvel coverage and more. We also have a paranormal and horror pop culture show called Talking Strange, hosted by Aaron Sagers. Check that out if you're into the spooky and weird. Thanks once again to our sponsor eBay and thank you all for joining us today. Be good to each other and stay safe. Thank you for listening to Marvel Standom, produced by Andrew Halley, Kirsten Howard and Joe George. Hosted by Kirsten Howard. Editing and graphics by Andrew Halley. Social media coordinator, Lee Parham. Additional artwork by Chloe Lewis. Production assistant, Michael R. Music license from soundstripe.com. Marvel Standom is a production of the Den of Geek Network. For more information, visit denofgeek.com.